I used to sit in the preschool in tears. All the man really has to do on the day of birth is find a good parking spot. <laughs> dad, Dad, catch this. Boom, I've done a poo. Stop stabbing your sister. From the news desk to the nursery. Mum! This is the Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. Yes, this is a time of the week where we look for the wisest most experienced and often most opinionated parents. We want to throw their thoughts, we want to know their thoughts, sorry, and throw them around on the stories and events that are circling around the parenting world. Kristen Tuvey is joining us today. She's a TV producer, writer, and single mum of two. She has um, a boy and a girl. Hi, Kristen. How are you? Hi. I love wise. Wise. I'm going to hold on to that. Yeah, you put it on your CV. <laughs> it's been set on national radio, so it's true now. Exactly. Uh, one of your favourite things to do with your kids is roller skating apparently you're taking them back to the 80s absolutely kicking and screaming <laughs> um sometimes they're not as into it as i am but um i'm a very keen roller skater you've got the outfits too i saw oh on instagram oh, do i ever there's a roller disco tomorrow night actually <gasps> how yeah. exciting yeah we're gonna go full 80s i'm wearing flamingo sunglasses so oh that's exciting yeah. our next our other guest is uh chris north holding the banner up for dads today he's a comedian marriage celebrant and father to three hi chris how are you hello um, i'm just feeling like I, I ought to be part of like an andrew lloyd webber musical if you're gonna get, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you you're better because i heard that you grew up in the beautiful old hotel, the Hydro Majestic. <gasps> oh, gee, that's a... How, WTF, how can did, I say that? Wow. How did that information come out? They, even even, even I'd everything. forgotten about that. Is it how a secret? Uh, yeah, no, it's true. I, I had a really interesting childhood. I grew up in a hotel, which kind of a lot of people don't get the opportunity to do because what happens is you, you learn to kind of engage with people really quickly. So living in hotels and pubs, not just that one, but many, um, you, you learn very kind of very quickly that you have to deal with many different personalities. So when mm. people go, oh, I'm like really into hospitality, I'm a real people person, that's rubbish. It's, <laughs> it's not until you actually live it that you actually understand what it's like. But to the thing it. about the Hydro Majestic is it is... Such an iconic building. Sorry if you're not from New South Wales. I mean, it's in the Blue Mountains. Yeah. it's Very big. old. Yeah, it's an old building. It's very big. It's quite iconic. And was it haunted? Oh, look, allegedly. Um, you no, never there saw was, a ghost? You never saw a ghost? Some, there were some scary bits. And you, you do get like the odd goose bump. And there, I've, I've been up there once or twice since. And I've taken kind of managers around the place and shown them things that they didn't know. And, and kind of you do get those goosebump oh. moments. Um, and there are some stories that you kind of remember and you go, oh, how did that how, how did that actually happen? Um, and it is a little bit like The Shining and you're waiting for Jack yes, Nicholson to yeah. pop out from behind and go, <laughs> here's Johnny. It's like, what? It's like, uh, so, yeah, it's... Wow. Um, yeah, it was quite an extraordinary, quite an extraordinary childhood. Not privileged, right? Don't get that wrong, because you know, my it was falling down when we were kids. It's only kind of it's, lush now, it's right? Been, it's been falling down forever. I think it was falling down the day it was built. And <laughs> and the thing is, though, that I had parents who were very good at instilling a, a work ethic. So we, you know, I went to boarding school, but. Um, Every holidays, we were up there working. My brothers worked in the the pub. My sister worked in it. Uh, we'd clean dishes and you know collect thing plates. And my brother, one of my brothers, is a chef now, and he did his apprenticeship there. So you you learn the hard way. There was no gifting. It was actually it was a quite a great resilience that was kind of developed through our through our parents. I could actually see a roller disco happening at the Hydro Majestic oh. in the ballroom. Oh my goodness. Hey, you two came together I'm... on this show for a reason. Oh my God. What, are we, uh, what are we doing live? Uh, should we check to the promotions department, which I think is just next to us. In fact, it's in this room. Selling tickets. 
after the already, panel. <laughs> they've already put it on the web. Great. Awesome, awesome. Okay, we're well, moving us along before we get in too much trouble. Um, should the, Our topics for today, should adults in cafes just grow up and accept that children are noisy, messy creatures? Do single parents need to prove their parenting chops to get welfare support? And bullying, so many things to talk about there. But first up, is it time we got back to survival of the fittest? Don't worry about it. It's not about who wins and loses, you know. It's just friendly survival of the fittest. If you give us your best, you're winners. You get a trophy for last place? Yeah. This week it was announced that the South Australian Football National Football League are changing some rules for their junior players. Next year, many juniors will no longer play for premiership points. Goal kickers will not be recorded and no best and fairest awards will be handed out. And I'm sure that means something to people who watch sport. Basically, these changes prompted one writer, Cara Jung, to bemoan the levelling of the field. She says that we're taking competition out of our children's lives, that there are never winners and losers, and that ultimately our kids will be less resilient. Chris, do you agree with Cara? Are we taking out too much competition from our kids' lives, or is there enough time for that to happen when they're older? Well, I think the first thing for me that comes out of that, I kind of look at my boys who play um, rugby league uh, in our local local area. They're not particularly good at it. I'll be flat out honest. (laughs) And in fact, my eldest son is, in fact, really bad to the point that it frustrates me because when it comes to game day, we travel an hour and a half to go to the game. He turns up to training every twice a week. He's not the best player in the team. He probably gets about 10 minutes of a run and then he spends the rest of the time on the sideline. So I'm there going, oh, come on, give him a go. Or he's sitting out on the side or, you know, he doesn't get the ball. He probably never gets the ball. And when he get, does get the ball, he drops it. Uh, so in actual fact, he's probably the worst player in the team However, the really good learning point for him is that he turns up as part of a team sport. And I think that's a really encouraging part. So we, we uh, my wife and I really encouraged him to do a team sport because he needs to have that team building experience. And if they don't win, they don't win. Uh, if they if they lose it, well, then that's, that's something they deal with and they have to deal with afterwards Did they get the trophies for coming last? No, absolutely not. And the idea that any child would get a trophy or get rewarded for, for coming last is ridiculous. In, in the same method, that happens at, the, at our primary school. So the year sixes in the primary school get given the opportunity of becoming school captains or house captains or you know, sports captains and things like this. And if you miss out on any of those, the rest of the year are then called leaders. So everyone becomes a school leader. That's and so, confusing. Yeah. So it's like, oh, hang on a minute. So you're, so we have like a whole class of leaders and then everyone's given the opportunity to win. And I think that is probably one of the easiest ways to destroy the development and confidence of a kid is by telling them that, oh, look, it doesn't matter. Your work to achieve is irrelevant. Um, it doesn't matter whether you come second or not. It's the fact that you, you're, you're an equal. So everyone kind of wins, but don't work harder than anybody else to do better. What do you think, Kristen? I think resilience and in, uh, integrity are probably the most important things that kids can learn and empathy. But I think resilience is, is it comes at a terrible price because you have to lose to develop <laughs> resilience. And uh, in theory, I, I'm, I'm completely with her. But if you've been on a sports field and see a tiny little child crying their eyes out because they lost. Like, you just go and give them 20 bucks, wouldn't you? Like, it's horrible. Um, my daughter was in a, a speech competition recently and she got through the second round. 
And she'd just been winning a whole lot of stuff lately and not trying very hard. You know, there's just those flukes. And she's like, I just can't lose. And I said, but, hon, you're going to have to do some rehearsal and there's going to be really good kids there. And she goes, I don't. I'm just going to win. And I was like, oh, God, life lesson on the way. And, I, you know, so we turned up there. Everyone was better than her. She, she did a great job, but she didn't prepare very much. And there was about 10 children on stage who'd been doing this since they were born. And she was excellent, but she was just sitting there grinning. Everyone else was sort of quite stoic. And as they were announcing prizes, she's just smiling and dancing and stuff because she was like, I got this. And then she didn't win. And just the face, I'm just, the, it, it was like an animated cartoon. Like her face just dropped, it melted. And I was like, oh God, this is a brutal lesson that needs to be learned. You know? And did you give her 20 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> I took her out for a cake. That's yeah. all right. Yeah, it's fine. That's all right. Yeah. I, I think an interesting point for me is I remember talking to my sister about this because one of the first places that winning and losing gets taken out is in Pass the Parcel. Yes. And I am one of those parents. I'm guilty of it. <laughs> I have had Pass the Parcel where every child in the circle oh, gets a, a prize. It's compulsory these days, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But what my sister said that was interesting to me was she said um, – there are times that where you can learn about winning and losing, perhaps not at a birthday party or on your own birthday. <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. And I, I, I actually took that on the chin. I, I thought, okay, well, maybe there are other places like school or a sporting field where they should be winning and losing, but I don't want to make my kid cry on their birthday. No. Or, or guests either. No. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you don't like them. Exactly. When you can step on the foot. <laughs> Well, it, that point actually raises something really interesting. And uh, before we were talking about it, I had to go and look it up and I found it. Um, a, a Louisville uh, basketball coach by the name of Jeff Waltz got into a press conference two years ago and he started saying to the, 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 they were saying, oh, well, the team lost, the team lost and, you know, they're losing and, and how do you feel about that? And his comment was, and he just ranted to the press about it, that uh, he, he questioned his team's will to win following the loss and ranted that um, a that participation trophies aren't handed out for professional sports people. Like, you don't just turn up to the, the state of origin and suddenly go, or the grand final, and you go, okay, so you participated. That's great. Uh, there's only one person's going to win out of this. And it probably is actually a, a resilience lesson also for the parents. Uh, and if you th- if we think about it, um, so you, you just mentioned before that the, the idea that the uh, your daughter was kind of getting herself prepared and, yeah, I've got this, I, I know what's happening – then sometimes, and this takes a step back, not for you, but maybe for, uh, I've seen this with other parents, that they will uh, only love their children um, by praising them. and uh, Or they'll only show love if that praise element's there. It's like, you know what? If you win, daddy loves you. Or this is, look at how well you've done. And this over-praising element, actually, all that does is, is uh, reinforces that it's okay not to... Um, to do better or to not try better or to not try or, or to not deal with being a loser. I think it's great for kids to deal with being a loser. I, I dealt with it my whole childhood. <laughs> look, look how well it made me. <laughs> I think that's where my husband and I clash because he always won and I always lost. And so, yeah, interesting dynamic. <laughs> it is, but you're wearing the hot tassel earrings, so... <laughs> I have to. Really I have to thank you for that. Thanks. That's that's the winning ticket. Your winning there. earrings today. <laughs> All right. I have to move on again, don't I? Uh, you're listening to the parent panel where we invite two parents into the studio to get their thoughts and st- on the stories and events of the week. Today, I'm joined by TV producer and writer Kristen Tuvey and marriage celebrant and comedian Chris North. In just a moment, is it time that adults in cafes grew up? 
People take children to a place of business? Why? The children should be neither seen nor heard. Why can't you keep that child of yours under control? Now we can all eat in peace. Have you ever taken your child to a cafe and felt judged? Was your child too noisy? Too messy, too busy. Writer Jill Murphy has had enough. She has a message for adults in cafes. Grow up and accept that kids are part of life. Her argument is that kids are humans too and have a right to be in public spaces. Kristen, do you agree or is it fair enough that other adults um, are are entitled to have child-free time? Well, I think we've all been there in that stressful situation when your kid's being an absolute horror and you're just getting lots of dirty looks. I don't think anything's more stressful. Um, I think there are certain cafes or restaurants that maybe children shouldn't go to. Um, So I think those people should go there. Cafe Sydney. Bars, perhaps. (laughs) It's called a pub. Um, But I, I mean, for me, like my kids are quite wild and they've always been really wild in restaurants and cafes. So I do get it as well. Like once my daughter was angry at me and she threw a strawberry milkshake on a woman in a very beautiful white dress um, from the top of her head to the bottom. And I was just furiously sponging her with several baby wipes. And my son's also gone up to somebody and sneezed in their coffee before. And he had a very bad cold and it was absolutely disgusting. So I do get it. My kids crawl under tables and they they empty sugar sachets everywhere and empty salt and stuff. So I'm... I do understand. I've been on the other side. When I'm by myself and I just hear this relentless screaming and negotiating, I'm just like, oh, I'm so glad it's not me, but go away. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, they do, of course. And I think it's a really nice social thing for parents to have, especially with really little kids. I think it's so important that, you know, people, that mothers and fathers and kids are welcome in public spaces because, um, you know. Where else are they going to go? Exactly. That's right. It's so lonely sometimes. Being a parent's so lonely. So... Yeah, see, because I, I, look, I have this problem all the time. I take my children to the Easter show and then I just take them to Circular Quay for dinner at Aria, uh, full of <laughs> sugar, and just let them run the place right and say, t- take your 10-course degustation menu and just <laughs> flip it everywhere, kids. It's, it's, it raises a really interesting point. So uh, as a parent, you can't, once you're a, a, a parent, you go, I can handle this. And you, you feel embarrassment for the parents that who want to go, oh, shush, 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 oh, shush. I, I sit next to parents on planes. I love sitting next to the parents on planes because uh, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm just, you know, completely ignorant. They're not your kids, so you're like, yeah, yeah exactly. And, yeah, tune and, it out. And, and I can handle the, the, the noise because I love turning around when people have a bit of a tut, 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 and you're going to go, what? It's like, you know, what's the problem? And you get all really, you know, farty for them. To, yeah. I love this. But at the same time, I also, th- um, oh God, this is going to throw a real spanner on the works. I really believe uh, that kids should be taken to restaurants. Kids should be taken into public places um they shouldn't be given tech you know they sh- uh, uh, it, the most frustrating thing for me is when they go you go into a restaurant and all you do is you see a big family dinner and there's kids sitting on an ipad or a, a piece of technology and they're not engaging in any of the conversation or any of the social interaction that's happening at the time that learning is really important if it's not happening well then that is a reflection of what's at the rest of the table um and i it, frustrates me because a lot of the blame should actually go to parents saying, you know what, if I'm not going to to tell tell my children how they need to behave in public, then I need to move this out or take it away. Not the, the judging element, I get it's tough, but it's also it's a responsibility that you have to teach kids how to behave in public. What about when they don't listen to you? 
like ever. Mm. <laughs> you got children like mine? <laughs> yeah, but that, that, that comes from learning. Like, it's, you know, kids don't listen, and that, that happens. Um, and I think kind of if you step back, it's what, what process do you put in place from day one where children do not listen to you? Uh, and a, a good example is when there's always the uh, the, dro- the walking through the um, the supermarket, and I, I always remember people saying, "Oh, the kids always go nuts whenever we get through to the chocolate aisle." And it's like, well, we don't go there, <laughs> so we don't take them to it, and we don't let them kind of take something off and say, "That's what I'm having," because that's not part of the conversation. So if it's not, it's about framing them, and I actually think that's that is part of the process. The framing has to be done early to. And if I understand, some children can be very difficult, or they you know, they may come up with you know, whether it's a whether it's a type of disorder, or it's a, it could be just a behavioural disorder, or it might be just um, a, you know, parents can be overstressed and overworked. It happens, right? I get it, but at the same time, that process has to be started really early, so that so that they know when we're in a restaurant, this is what we do. I I think it's an awesome theory and I totally agree with it. My kids are absolutely mental and we don't go down the chocolate aisle so they will tip my trolley over to stall me so they can run down the chocolate (laughs) aisle. Like They're evil and they're beautifully evil. She loves them but they're evil. And as, As a guilty parent, I take my kids to restaurants and I totally agree with you. I think they need to go to restaurants and learn how to behave. And I've I do feel like with little kids... I've been guilty of saying, okay, for the first half of the meal, when the food comes, we all sit here and talk. And then afterwards, I just want to have a conversation with my friend or my father or um, another know, adult. My, my ex-husband at the time, um, another adult. And so he can be on my phone for half an hour. So I know that that's not right, but I'm just fessing up to it right now. No, I'd, I'd fess up to it too. And the other thing that happened to me, I, I think I've been in a situation where I have judged parents for doing that. Mm, I have um, too. But it was a friend of mine. <laughs> I didn't judge to her face. Like yeah. I saw her doing it in the RSL. I saw her kids with their headphones on and the iPad in front of them. Yeah. And I walked past feeling very self-righteous. And then I remembered that she is the she has the kids the majority of the time. Like she's always at home on her own, drop off, pick up, all the rest of it. And once a week they go to the RSL for a meal. And I thought, do you know what? This might be the only time that they do have an iPad in front of them. So I, I again, I agree in terms of the fact that Doing it all the time is definitely not going to help anyone, but occasionally, as a crutch, I think I get it. Mm. But reflecting back to the problem, and the problem mm. is that people are, are judging other adults, and you're going, "Oh, you know, you shouldn't be taking children, or that you mm. shouldn't be letting them." Right? That is shouldn't the responsibility. public. Yeah, that should be the responsibility of the parent to get to that point, so that. Cause and I'm, you're saying to do it without tech is the goal. I, I, it's hard. I, I, it was one of the hardest things that we did, and we we're, we are tech free in the like in the house. We've always been tech free, um, and I'm a, really a, a firm believer that the number one destroyer of children's imaginations and creativity is is tech. And if I go back right, I remember the first day somebody going to put a like a phone in front of me, and they went, "Oh, we've just downloaded this new story time app where they kind of the kids get to watch this thing and they get to interact with the story. It and it teaches them something. It taught them nothing, and they got they, and. We go back now and reflect and go, what did you, you don't like, all you did was give yourself an excuse to think you were doing something when really you could have just sat down and read the book. It's like me and ABC for kids. (laughs) Yeah. It's okay. We are a tech house. (laughs) It's super judgy, but I'm, I don't apologize for that. Hashtag tech free parent over here. Yeah. (laughs) New parenting goals. 
maybe in my next lifetime because I ain't going to get it this time. <laughs> oh, hippie. That's good. Okay. <laughs> next, should single parents have to prove their parenting chops for welfare? The things are going to calm down after this now. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> have to prove anything to you so i am just gonna be a kick-ass single mom I, yeah well that's me you know <laughs> stephanie the sexy single mom <laughs> a new government program called parents next has seen many single mums and i say single mums they're the majority of the people on this program under pressure to prove they have completed certain activities to claim their welfare payment this includes things like story time swimming lessons or playgroup that's, and it's around 68,000 parents were put on this program because they were assessed at being as being at risk of long-term welfare dis- dependency. Kristen, I'm going to go to you first. I think it's only fair. As a single parent, what's your response to these me- measures? I think it's really rigid because I don't think there's just one way to parent children properly uh, and to parent them well. Um, I'm, I'm on payments and we don't go to swimming lessons because I hate them. <laughs> but, I, but I taught my kids to swim. You know, and and there's things like story time, which um, my kids are not interested in anymore. You know, and I know it's aimed at younger kids, but just saying if you don't do this activity, you're not parenting properly. Um, I think is 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 it's really unfortunate and and sends a really bad message. And and um, the woman who was interviewed in that in that story, you know, she said that her payments were suspended because she didn't attend story time with her child. Um, and I mean, on paper, she seems like a really good mum. Yeah. Know? So, yeah, I, I, I think it's, um, I think it's really sad, and I, I think that parents, you know, for me as a single parent, like making a lot of time to do great things with the kids that don't necessarily fall into um, acceptable categories, perhaps. You know, we went for a walk at nine p.m. on a really hot night the other night, and went and swung on the monkey bars, and. That that's still developmental stuff to me, but there's no box to check on the government <laughs> protocol of that. <laughs> Monkey bars nine pm done. Get my payments. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think. Um. If, what's What's next? Like, are they? If you don't tick the box, are they just going to come and collect your kids? Like, yeah, they, exactly. Which I'm okay with. I would be. I would actually go through the whole process and go. I've got nothing to do. You have them. Because uh, <laughs> you'll be back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you Have you seen Kristen's daughter? Or started the in the restaurant, it's like a, it sneezed into a cup of coffee. There you go, all yours. It's, but I think that's, um, it, yeah, I, I, it kind of blows my mind that the, I think really it's created a job for somebody in the government to do something. It's given them the opportunity to say, well, let's justify our position here and we'll we'll create conversation. It, It's quite a, if you take a step back, I've, the problem really is there's creating a welfare state anyway. So once you've already created the welfare state, so why then try and push people out of the welfare? There are there are better ways to push them out than saying, "Oh, well, you haven't achieved a goal to earn the welfare." That's and I think you're right. There are people under totally different circumstances as to why they'd be receiving a payment. Like why, if you receive your your like kind of support benefits, and what are they? Family Part A and Part B, or did, you know, you're already making my head hurt. You know, it's all those numbers and letters and stuff. And I never knew. I just kind of let my wife. She deals with numbers and stuff. You know, I didn't work for twelve months. I was a, I was the, I was the stay-at-home dad. And if I didn't 
Oh, gosh. I, I wouldn't have ticked half those boxes. You never I, went to story time, I, Well, you know, I tried. <laughs> it's it's got to be the right story time, though. That's right. So, we at went the to, right library. <laughs> exactly. We went to a story. I used to take my... I used to take one of my boys to a story time, like a play group in the local area, which was run. I didn't realise this at the time. I thought it was really nice. It was very friendly. Everyone was really, you know, kind of, oh, hey, great to see you. It's really good. And it kind of became really engaging. It was very friendly to the point that, you know, people even used to call me. It's like, oh, are you going to come to, you're coming tomorrow. It's, it's like play- a cult. It, well, here's <laughs> Funny the thing. Funny you say that. Funny you say oh. that. Because... Actually, one day I said, oh, look, I won't be able to come because it's like, you know, we're just, uh, I don't have the car, it's raining. And then the van turned <gasps> and, and it was like, knock, knock, we're here to take you to playgroup. And I was oh like, goodness. there's something not right here. And I would have thought that was really cool. You, you're both looking really worried. I'm like. It's a free ride. <laughs> oh, I just gave them my kid and said, well, all yours. <laughs> just return him by three. So what if you was don't the story? Mind. Yeah, well, they were. They were a part of a, a, religious, a, a, group. a religious group. Wow. And, and it was all, well, it kind of the giveaway should have been that the a lot of the they adults. wanted to baptize you. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, metaphorically. It was like it was all very, everyone looked the same. Wow. Uh, I probably should have been a real giveaway, but I was just, They know, all looked happy, didn't it, they? It felt easy. The <laughs> carrot cake was nice. Yeah, yum. <laughs> and the I'm, biscuits. I'm picturing the Van though, like 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 a sort of like black van with some chlorophyll and stuff in it. So I think I'm probably picturing it differently. Yeah, and I come think- on, come to story time. <laughs> I want to know going what going on a bear hunt. You're listening to the Parent Panel. I'm Siobhan Hunt. My guests today are TV producer and writer Kristen TV and marriage celebrant and comedian Chris North. Our last topic in just a moment is a big one, all about bullying. Because I knew personally that I was a little weird myself. I came from a super religious background and a big family with not a lot of money. And I myself had hand-me-downs and not the nicest things in the world. And that wasn't, you know, that's fine because, you know, things were happening in my home life that I didn't want people to know. And so it was a matter of like, yeah, if you can't beat them, join them. That was Mary, a girl who at primary school bullied our producer, Elise Cooper. Don't worry, I have tried on many times to track these people down. Um, She's explaining why she bullied Elise when they were young. And it's part of a bigger story that Elise did for the show this week about bullying. It's a very powerful piece. And if you want to listen to it, it is on the Kindling Conversation podcast. If you want to go back and listen, I do recommend it. Um, The chances are with bullying, we've all been affected in some way, either as a child being the victim or the perpetrator, or as an adult watching our kids deal with bullying. Um, Chris, did you have an experience of bullying as a child or as an adult? And, and how was it handled? Uh, it, it, well, it's interesting. Um, so, yeah, I had, uh, I suppose we, we, if you reflect back now and you go, what do you call bullying? Um, sometimes kind of the argy-bargy of kids being on the bus is is uh, now considered bullying. So the the teasing and the picking on. And when I was a kid growing up in the, in the Blue Mountains of you know, Western Sydney, and um, there was this little you know, bus that used to pick us up at eight o'clock. And I remember I remember a really horrific uh, horrific. I, I remember a really bad incident. And there was this. Um, I, I think I was just ignorant as to what girls were like. And I remember um, the girl sitting next to me, and I kind of just 
I whacked her her thigh, like you know, like it used to give people a horse bite, or Indi- Chinese burns they used to call them on your arm, and. I didn't realise at the time that, that was probably a really bad thing. But when you're seven, it's it's quite a different kind of mentality. It's more like a, a friendly, well, yeah, it's kind of like you know, that idea that you're picking on each other to get each other's attention. Um, but then kind of it wasn't until later on that I realised that, that uh, I think bullying became more prevalent in uh, I went to a kind of boarding school environment, which was excellent, and it was I really loved it. But there were one or two kids who would really make your life a bit difficult. But I think that came from whatever their difficulties were. Mm. So yeah, as a kid, I was quite I was actually Did quite. Did the school large. handle it though? It, the... Yep, yeah, perfectly well. But also at the same time, it's it's I think it's um, it taught me a little bit of resilience too as to how I will handle it um, because I don't need. Uh, also, people to fight my fights. There's you, you have to develop that idea that I'm the one that's going to be uh, have to respond to this. You know, later. Has on. it ever happened to your children? Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Actually, I had my uh, one of my boys was uh, cyberbullied at school. Really interesting way. Um, so what happened was that he somebody logged into his account, his email account, uh, sent out emails on his behalf that were really quite graphic, uh, and it was from a girl in the class. Wow. Which, which you would have thought, oh, one of the other boys is doing this. But it was from a girl in the class. So that's you find that uh, after the fact. So the fact that somebody is receiving all these emails and these kids are receiving these quite graphic kind of comments and to the teachers as well, it was during the school holidays and we're going, what's going on? And then people are kind of going, what are you, what's going on? So my wife's kind of ringing around going, look, that's not him. It's somebody's hacked into his account. We don't know what's going on. Uh, the difficulty was, was how did it get managed? So it was school holidays. Nobody can manage it. Uh, school couldn't handle that because it was using an external kind of mail system that nobody supported in school holidays. And then when we get to school, they actually just wanted to kind of breeze it over and go, well, you know what, what we'll do is not embarrass the person who was responsible for it and actually say, this is the person who did this and we're punishing them, um, just kind of swept under the carpet. It wasn't until we reminded them that an action had to be taken because of, you know... The impact on your son. Yeah, the impact. And he was devastated just because he couldn't understand why somebody would do that to him that was his reaction like why is somebody doing this to me i'm not a bad person um and he never knew who it was so we never told him who it was and the reason why we didn't do that is because we didn't want him to kind of start having this blame culture on somebody who was who eventually got punished and had to apologize in front of the class and i think that's the most important part is that they had to take ownership for what they were doing and once bullies take ownership for what they're doing they'll, they'll teaches them pretty quickly that the behavior's not on mm. what about you Kristen? what's your experience with bullying uh, I think as a child, I've had some stints of bullying, but not really prolonged ones um, like Elise experienced. And I found her article so powerful. And the fact that her bully didn't even, well, says she doesn't remember what happened. I'm sure she does. I mean, and it's clear from that soundbite that she does. Oh, but, it's um, a different person. But, oh. but yeah, I mean, the the, the piece itself, um, Elise, it talks to experts about mm. why that girl might have denied it and there were a couple of reasons why but when she the expert did say that if it's for such a prolonged period of time it's quite unlikely that they would forget that they did it yes mm. exactly um i think it's probably more shame around that which is healthy Health, shame is very healthy um my daughter started a new school last year and she had a bit of a hard time with it as well um it wasn't too long but it was that horrible powerlessness as a parent that you feel 
And I think when kids are very young, I think parents stepping in um, can have a very positive effect. But I'm assuming that when kids are, are teenagers, um, it's embarrassing for the victim and and the perpetrator. They don't care what their parents think because teenagers don't really care what their parents think. So I think we, uh, what the age my kids are at the moment, um, I think it's more handleable. That's not a word, but it is now. <laughs> than than it will be later on. So, and my daughter had this sort of bully, and I was like prepared to go up to this big, this big girl, a big, big, angry, scary-looking girl, and she came up to my thigh. <laughs> I was just like, "Is that your bully?" Yeah. <laughs> I did push her in the canteen line, <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. Can I ask, like, at what point you would have experienced this that? Uh, you have children who are getting, who might experience bullying or being picked on or like a various kind of, there There has to be a, um, a, bullying I don't think can be as cut and dry as, that's bullying, that's not bullying. There's a variance of it and it's how you categorise it. But at what point do the parents actually step in? Because there has to be a point where you go, you know what, it's just, just ignore them. And do you think too often parents kind of step in and walk into the school and say, this person's picking on my child and they're making their life hell and they, really they find out that they've just, you know, I don't know, flicked their hair in the, in the classroom? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's got to be going on for a long time and I think it's developing strategies at home to yeah. say, so if this happens, what will you do? So my daughter um, was having a tough time, so she said, so I went to the library and read at lunchtime. And and that sort of, that made me very proud because she'd processed it herself. We'd talked about things. It actually didn't get to the point where I had to speak to the parents because I did push her in the canteen, <laughs> <laughs> dealt with it myself like a bully. Um, no, it wasn't that bad. She didn't fall over. Um, but <laughs> she did steal her lunch money though. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think parent intervention's got to be one of the last steps because it is building resilience. Right? I mean, that's that's true. But I remember back in high school, and it depends on your peer peer group as well. I know that Elisa's story was about primary school, and I know that it was about a group of kids. So it wasn't just one; it was a group, and Mm. that's what concerns me. Uh, (laughs) To get really heavy on you, that whole saying, "All it takes evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing," and I think that includes parents and teachers. And I'm not saying, obviously, children have tit for tat. Just look at my kids. They fight every morning. I can't decide who's to blame every single time. And it's not bullying. It's just what kids do. But when it becomes prolonged, when it becomes a group of kids, particularly, like I said, depending on the peer group. So um, I know in high school that there was like the whole year would turn their back on one child. Mm. And oh. that is like, especially when you're a teenager and you're on the cusp of that forming your identity. So I think vulnerable. that adults have a responsibility that, there. That's a really interesting point. So my one of my children is friends with a child who is um, quite high on the ADD kind of phase. He takes, um, you know, he does take medication and sometimes can be quite imaginative in his responses and, and may have some, you know, people... But some of the kids turn around and, and just start to kind of ignore him a bit. Um, and we had this conversation where he was... Our son was saying, oh, I'm not sure I really want to really just hang out that often. And it was like... but And we had to kind of remind him that, well, actually, this is, this is probably something you have to actually develop and deal with because... He, he he actually he likes you. You like him. He likes you. You like hanging out. Don't be 
Don't he's be dragged in, in by this just because there are other kind of kids that are, think he's a bit weird. Um, because you know he's a bit weird and you know, but you kind of accept that. It was really interesting. He eventually kind of got through it and he's now in a really good space with it. But I kind of thought, you don't want that. You can, you can see that about to happen and you don't want that because they're, they're a great family and he's a good kid and you don't want that to... You and when you leave dis- school, they're your best friends. The yeah. weirdos mm. at school, they're your best friends. They're the ones that are the most interesting, the most... And in the end, resilient. But they probably make the most money. They probably like they, they probably develop be the in most Silicon Valley. Abs. That's right. And, you know, and as we leave this studio, we might go. You know what? There's a chance for a job. Should we apply for it now? It's like we want them. I didn't know how we would end on a high note, starting with bullying. But thank you for making me laugh at the end, Chris. Kristen, thank you so much for thank coming you in. For having thank us. you. That was TV producer and writer Kristen Tuvey and marriage celebrant and comedian Chris North. You've been listening to The Parent Panel, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to leave a review and share it with your friends. The Parent Panel, new episodes every Friday.